Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Financial Confessions. It's me, Chelsea Fagan, founder and CEO of The Financial Diet, woman who loves to talk about money. Um, and today we are actually going to be speaking to one of our guests from our most recent video essay all about child influencers and mommy bloggers and the entire ecosystem of monetizing childhood and sort of giving it up to the algorithm. Uh, we obviously were able to explore quite a few topics in that video. It's over an hour long for just the free version, let alone uh, the members only director's cut. But there's a lot more that I wanted to speak with one of our guests about. She is a bit of a watchdog on TikTok. I'm personally a huge fan of her content. And she's constantly blowing my mind with so many sort of deep, dark secrets of what is happening, not just on social media, but in our culture at large, when it comes to our relationship to privacy, to identity, and to childhood itself. She's a really fantastic and thoughtful creator, and I'm so excited to have this larger conversation with her today as kind of a companion piece to our video essay, which will of course be linked in the description. And thanks to ButcherBox for supporting TFC. Sign up to get three pounds of free range organic chicken wings free in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com TFC and use code TFC. And thanks to Delete Me for supporting TFC. Remove your personal info from data broker websites. And we have a special discount for you. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash TFC and use promo code TFC. Without any further ado, here is my guest, Sarah Adams of Mom Uncharted. Hi, Chelsea. Thank you so much for having me. And what a beautiful introduction. I literally have goosebumps over here. You were just so kind. Oh, well, I mean every word. And your uh, TikTok and your internet presence in general, I think, is such an important sort of antidote to a lot of what we see happening in the culture. I was watching one of your TikToks yesterday about people offering essentially subscriptions for exclusive content of their children, um, which is just absolutely mind boggling to me. So you are even for as sort of versed in the subject as I feel you add this just incredible additional layer of just how pervasive this problem is. So first, before we dive any of in, uh, dive into any of this in detail, can you talk a little bit about who you are and specifically why you create the kind of content that you do? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm Sarah. I'm a married mom of two children, uh, both under the age of six. And I became a mom in late 2017. And at that time, I kind of naturally started following a lot of other moms online, specifically on Instagram. Um, I didn't know how to be a mom. I didn't know what to do. And I thought I would find some uh, information there and some community, despite mainly just being like a ghost follower, consuming but not engaging. And I didn't have a big social media presence of my own or anything like that. I just wasn't active. I was just consuming content and information, probably clicking on too many affiliate links, frankly, um, and didn't think much of it back in 2017. And then the years go on and things change. The pandemic hits. I have my second child first week of lockdown Oof. and we're naturally all online more. And I'm just starting to become uncomfortable with what I'm seeing. Like for the amount parents were spending on time, the information they were sharing, the amount of images. And it felt like some were on stories all day. And it just, I started to feel very icky. And one day I just had this light bulb moment, like, hold on, hold on. I'm a stranger. I'm a stranger following someone else's child. I like I know what's in their lunch today. I know what they're wearing to school. I know the route they take to school through their neighborhood. I'm like, hold on, this is very uncomfortable. And a shift just happened. And I started talking to friends and family, um, specifically my husband about it, who eventually said, I can't talk about this anymore with you. Like you're very interested in the subject, but what are you going to do with it? And so I downloaded TikTok on a whim and thought maybe I would start talking about these things. And Mom Uncharted was kind of born. Part of what is so striking to me about your content is the depths, because I'm never shocked by the individual 
piece of content or someone behaving badly, right? Like that is inevitable. That's universal on the internet. Um, you know, there's always going to be someone who pushes a platform to the extreme or debases themselves in some way for, you know, any kind of attention. All of that I think is, it's not great, but it's, it's sort of an inevitability with how the attention economy works. But what's really shocking to me about a lot of your content is how normalized a lot of these things feel in the communities of ostensibly normal people who are not themselves, you know, going to great lengths to get attention, who who maybe themselves wouldn't even necessarily do the same kind of content, um, and how it, until it reaches sort of your side of TikTok, let's say, that the response can be incredibly positive and affirming to some content that I think most people, many people anyway, would consider to be very exploitative. An example that comes to mind for me is you shared about a woman who filmed her child's reaction to a family member passing away. I believe, I believe her father passing away. And, you know, you had pointed out in the video that kind of before you got there, people were like, this is so meaningful. This is important to see grief. It's important to be honest about the reality of life. And it wasn't until I think you and others kind of created this discourse. It was almost sort of like wake up and that it, it that it sort of shifted a little bit. And I think the videos were eventually deleted. But I guess my my biggest question in terms of the ecosystem that this content is created in is, do you think that other parents and other people genuinely find this stuff normal and acceptable or it's just sort of what we've been trained to be okay with on the internet? Um, I think it is kind of what we've allowed to be normalized, right? Like the oversharing of our children, you know, it starts right um, when you become pregnant, you know, someone pees on a stick and announces it and a digital footprint for a child who's not even earth side is born. We've created this realm where oversharing is just normal and everybody does it and no one was thinking critically about it. And the voice I wanted to offer was just a different perspective and to kind of fight the norm because for the amount of time parents are spending online, I didn't think these conversations were happening, right? Like, and before I had my light bulb more moment, I was not thinking it either, right? So I think challenging what we are seeing online will shift the societal norm. And I'm starting to see it, but I think we just naturally got into it. You know, Instagram kind of hit it big 2015, 2017, then pandemic. It just felt kind of like a natural evolution. And I think a lot of parents felt like this is just what you do. When you have a kid, you just do this. You post the birth announcement and all their milestones and you share as much as possible because it's normal and you're proud. And we really need to pause on that and think critically and remind ourselves that our children are autonomous human beings worthy of privacy and consent. And we are taking that away from them. Well, and I mean, beyond that, I think, you know, the bigger question that is sort of laid on top of this, because obviously with children, there is the very key difference of not being able to render consent. You know, children are not considered capable of consenting to a huge variety of things. Um, but we don't sort of give that same distinction uh, as it pertains to publicizing their life. But I think a kind of even broader question as a society is, recalibrating what we consider to be the private and the public sphere to an extent. And I do think there's a really difficult push and pull, right? Because, you know, in the case of going back to that child who was, you know, recorded reacting to a parent's death, which is, you know, I think recording that is an insane violation, but even beyond that, distributing it to a public audience, I think is unimaginable. But for example, I follow a, a, a woman in her maybe mid-50s on TikTok, who very recently and unexpectedly lost her husband. Um, he had been, uh, like, they, I had been following her from before he passed away, and then he very unexpectedly passed away. And now her TikTok has sort of inadvertently become about grief, um, which is very understandable. And I think I feel, it, as an observer, that there's a lot of benefit to that, that that has a real value to the people watching it, to other people who might be going through similar things. 
But it also does create a question of, you know, to what extent are we expected to perform our private lives and our private experiences publicly and how much of what we're living is sort of even subconsciously becoming a performance. And I'm interested if you have some of the same qualms and and questions about adult content as you do about child content. Yeah, I definitely uh, question a lot of adult question, uh, adult content. I think I question it more um, given what I, the subjects I discuss as how will the oversharing of adults, specifically parents' life, eventually trickle down to their children? I think that's probably more of the questions I think and I pose. Um, And in regard to your example, you know, that's a consenting adult who sadly lost her husband, who is grieving publicly and allowing individuals to um, support her and uh, share this experience with her. And as it relates to the child who was filmed, right? Like, I just can't imagine what that's like for a child to grow up to find out that maybe that video went viral. Maybe you didn't even know your mom filmed you in that moment and um, how that could reoccur throughout their life, you know, peers, teammates and things finding out and just the devastation of that moment being out there for public consumption and truly as a form of entertainment, right? But in general, I don't overly think about what the adults are doing, because in my opinion, they are consenting adults. And I kind of have my hands full with so much in regard to what parents are doing with uh, their kids. I think also one of the questions that I think is raised for adults and specifically for mothers, because one of the things we point out in the video essay is that this is overwhelmingly a phenomenon amongst mothers. Um, Some of it is dads or aunts and uncles and grandparents, but the vast majority, and we have the data on it, of people who are engaging in this um, sharing and often oversharing of child content is mothers. Um, And I think part of what is so striking about it is the subsuming of the mother's identity by this child. I mean, one thing that's very common to see on social media when you follow a woman through her young adult life is you will go from seeing a lot about her, her interests, her activities, her accomplishments to almost exclusively seeing about her child and everything that they're kind of living and experiencing. Um, And I wonder, in terms of the chicken or, or the egg of it all, To what extent do we think that this oversharing is a product of expecting mothers' identities to become kind of secondary to their child's identity? Yeah, I think that is a valid point. I think that a lot of women struggle to find themselves as an individual after they become a mother. And so they potentially use their child as their content or their focus because that's currently their identity um, because a lot has been either lost or is just kind of waiting in the wings to be rediscovered and so that gets put forth right because I don't necessarily know who I am as an individual in this mother role what I know is this mother role so I'm going to lean into that and focus on that. And what I always say and try and remind parents, but specifically mothers, is we relate to other mothers and their journey and their relatability, right? I am not relating to your child or I don't need to see your child to build a connection with you as a mother and an individual, right? Like I don't need to, I need, I want to hear about your perspective. Like what's parenting like for you. I don't need to see you disciplining your child to know that you were struggling with disciplining your child, right? I mean, I I assume that must be a universal experience, not being a parent myself, Um, but it seems universal. Um, But I think it's also in terms of the attention and accolades that women are afforded when they're going through the process of having a child, right? Like there's, there's so much of it that is 
celebratory towards a woman in a way that very few other things in her life after a certain age get celebrated. You know, there's the fanfare around the announcement and the gender reveal and the birth and the milestones. And, you know, each month is a celebration and all of those things. And it's obviously very meaningful to the individual. But I do think we have a level of complicity in terms of what are we engaging with? Are we typically only really engaging and and interested in the woman and celebrating the woman when it has to do with those milestones? Yeah, and I think also in relation to losing yourself again, um, motherhood often and traditionally has kind of been overlooked the amount of energy um, and physicality it takes to be a mother is often not respected in society. And so when these mothers are portraying this online, they have found a community of support and validation and people who lift them up, right? So I think that is something they are also seeking in this, right? They want to be told that they are um, doing a good job and that they're not alone and we see you and you got this mama, right? I I don't know if you ever saw that video that woman made of like, it's like a a mommy bloggers like comment section on, you know, any post. And it's like, you got this mama, you're a, you're a rock star mama. Like, yeah. That is another thing that I think, I I know it's been the subject of a few like New York Times op-eds and things like that, of like this phenomenon of calling women who are mothers mom, like other adults, which I mean, again, I'm not in that position, so it's hard for me to to know exactly how I'd feel, but I imagine I would be like, stop. Yeah, well, you know, it's tough for me. I do go by mom uncharted here. That's true. I didn't even think of that. Right. Um, and the reason I, I, I chose that name is because I am te- like, I'm technically a mom. That is my title, but I feel very uncharted in doing this role, right? Like in some regard, there are, you know, guidebooks and things that I can look into to see how like the development of children works and things like that. But as it relates to social media, the online world, raising kids in this digital age, that's very uncharted for my generation as a parent, right? So like my title is mom, um, but I also like, like I'm Sarah, you know, like I don't think a lot of, but you kind of lose yourself in motherhood sometimes. It's a very relatable feeling. Um, I understand, I have a lot of empathy for what some of these mothers are seeking to gain online. Well, and I also imagine, I mean, there's a very fine line. You know, it's it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day in the context of hyper consumerism on social media that you see this behavior and this level of consumerism and you know not just any kind of consumerism but you know consumerism consumerism that's very distinctly bad for the environment and has all kinds of social and and environmental costs you see it happening you see it being very normalized you see it being uh, even kind of valorized and if you push back against it often the justification will be like, well, this is this this is my happy place. This makes me happy. This is what I do for myself. It's something I do for me. You know, there, there are all kinds of rationale for engaging in this behavior that is very centered on, you know, what feels good to the individual or what feels right sort of can't be wrong. Um, and I do wonder often how our language around things like, you know, self-care and, you know, authenticity and giving ourselves what we want, how much that feeds into justifying often very destructive behaviors. Because I think in the same way, I can only imagine that a lot of the mothers who you've called out on your platform would probably respond with something along the lines of like, well, this is my choice. This is, you know, this is important for me to share. Like, this is how I... It's very difficult, I think, in our current context to argue against that. 
Yeah. Well, I do um, like your thoughts on the hyper consumerism, because that's another problem I have with kids being online is being thrust into this world of, you know, aesthetic and materialism and what you have, you know, seeing five-year-olds do these get ready with me's with products that, you know, I'm as an almost 40-year-old woman using from Sephora. It's just all sorts of like wrong to me. It feels like the wrong message for the wrong time. And um, so I just want to speak on that because I think that's a very uh, valid point. And I think the mothers who defend what they're doing in that way, maybe aren't looking at their children as autonomous human beings and maybe view them more as an extension of themselves and as a prop that they can utilize um, for online games. Well, the consumerism amongst children thing is a really interesting cross-section or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Intersection, because so much of the most popular children's content is centered around toys, unboxings, food, things that are, you know, essentially just material goods. And I think that is also part of what is so destructive. We had some comments even just from the video, it just went up, but we have some comments already from people saying, you know, my children get into this content through toy unboxing and toy building. And that not only is like in and of itself an extremely consumerist kind of content to consume, but it also kind of it seems to act as a bit of a gateway toward much more exploitive content. Definitely, definitely. And you see that in um, different realms. There was an article for the Washington Post by Taylor Lorenz where she was discussing these YouTube camps amongst kids where they go because they want to be creators and things like that. And some of the kids are like, this has been my dream since I was four and watching unboxing videos and things like this, right? It has various effects on our children. Personally, I don't let my children watch YouTube kids. I personally don't understand um, why parents want their children watching other kids unbox things and play with toys. I'm of the mindset, go play with your toys, right? Like, yeah. So it, it, it seems a little dystopian to me. Well, also, I mean, I can only imagine that, like, if I were, I'm thinking, I'm trying to imagine myself as a five, six, seven-year-old having that at my fingertips. I, I can only imagine the, you know, as, as a kid who didn't, you know, whose family didn't have a ton of money for toys, I, I can't imagine how much that would have radically increased my envy and my sense of dissatisfaction and my sense of comparison. Yeah, of course. And I also think um, a lot of the times I wonder with this uh, consumerism and this type of content that uh, in knowing what is going on in the world, specifically in regard to uh, climate change and things like that, if in 10 years, 20 years, the kids will look back and be like, hold on. So like you knew all this was happening and you were online pushing like more Amazon stuff, more fast fashion stuff. You had me in like fashion Nova outfits every day. Like I wonder what they will say in 10, 20 years looking back on what us as parents or some of us as parents were like pushing and promoting online. I think that's probably going to be one of the biggest things that's like, how, how could how could this have gone on? But I also think, I mean, I do wonder sometimes, especially as we continue to see, you know, greater and greater wealth disparity and inability of, you know, middle class families. I mean, frankly, a decreasing even existence of middle class families, let alone their ability to to live a, you know, an affluent lifestyle, you know, part of what strikes me, and we talk about it a bit in the video, but I, I think it's it's really worth unpacking is how much of this mom content is often sort of almost like a fetishizing of this lifestyle of being a full-time mom to an extraordinary number of children, which is almost completely unachievable now for the vast majority of families. Like in and of itself, that seems to me to be almost kind of its own form of fantasy escapism. Oh, I definitely think it is. You know, um, I look at some of these influencer accounts specifically and maybe family vlogging accounts 
in the 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 wealth of these people, it feels very um, unattainable to some. It feels very performative to some. And like the kids and other parents are looking at this like the peak, right? The be all and end all, but it lacks um, a basis in reality for me. It just doesn't feel very real. It feels um, performative and manufactured and a large portion of these influencers that you see in big houses and the quartz countertops and everything's perfect. They are like generationally wealthy or independently wealthy off of social media, right? And I think that's something that people have to um, remind themselves of. Often the best gifts are the ones that you give to yourself, especially things that last the whole year long and actually make your life better, easier, more healthful, like all of the things that you want to be doing come new year. And ButcherBox is here to help you treat yourself to more delicious, wholesome meals now and all year long. They take the guesswork out of finding high quality meat with humanely raised beef, pork, chicken, seafood, and more delivered to your doorstep. After a long and busy day, there's no better feeling than knowing I can skip the grocery store because I have food I can trust already waiting for me in my freezer. I am now a ButcherBox user, and as someone who absolutely loves cooking at home, it has genuinely transformed my cooking experience. I'm able to meal plan so much more effectively. I have really, really high quality meat products in my freezer that I don't have to worry about sourcing because I do try to be really conscientious about the animal products that I buy. And also like being a Manhattan queen, like, even with my little rolly cart, it's like really hard to bring a lot of groceries to and from the grocery store. And it's cold, girl, it's winter. Like, it's so nice knowing that like, I can reduce the number of grocery store trips I have to make, that I can like count on this cornerstone of a lot of my meal planning, like being there being available, not having to carry it everywhere. Um, and also just knowing that I can plan out my weeks in a much, much more effective way than I used to. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of ButcherBox's products. Like I genuinely love it. And yes, obviously they are our sponsor this week, but I will be a continued user because I have genuinely been turned on to how great the product is. Just as like a random example, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a huge um uh, lover of the walks of life, the food blogger slash cookbook. And I have now made like three different recipes from, uh, my walks of life cookbook that I have at home, um, using my butcher box. Here's one pictured right here. And ButcherBox has incredible deals on premium cuts of meat and seafood. Everything from them is humanely raised with no antibiotics or added hormones. They also offer curated or customized boxes, something I personally love, as well as exclusive member deals, recipe inspiration and tips, and bonus, shipping is always free. Who doesn't love that? ButcherBox is giving us a special deal. Sign up today at butcherbox.com TFC and use code TFC to get free chicken wings for a year. That's three pounds of free range organic chicken wings for free in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com TFC and use code TFC. So let's talk about how the internet can be a scary place to share personal information about yourself, something that I know very well. I recently discovered, for example, how easy it is to get your accounts hacked. I, for those who don't know, um, had my Twitter account hacked back in late September. And after over 100 attempts uh, with their support team, um, I was unable to get it back until a personal friend of mine who happened to have a connection um, at one of the employees there was able to help me retrieve it. But during that month where my account was literally taken over by a crypto scam. Um, it was incredibly stressful. And of course, like the first thing I did was like go and change all my other passwords and make sure nothing was connected. But it really did make me feel incredibly vulnerable. And I have personally been using Delete Me for months now. And the feeling that you get from seeing just how visible a lot of your personal information was when you get your reports was really eye-opening. We're talking like name, address, phone number, stuff that's even more sensitive than some of the things that were on my Twitter, to be perfectly honest. And it is very easy for people to get access to your data, extremely personal data. It's probably available to anyone who's ready to pay for it right now. And not to cause panic, but this is something we need to think about. Sadly, there are companies out there called data brokers whose entire job is to collect huge amounts of your personal info, like your name, address, phone number, social security number, and even information about your relatives. This information is then sold online, which is kind of insane. 
But the good news is that Delete Me can help you like it helped me. Delete Me protects your data from data brokers by reducing the risks of identity theft, scams, and those annoying spam calls and emails we all get. Their software and team of experts will not just find and remove your personal information from hundreds of data broker websites, but they'll continuously scan for new data that shows up and get that removed as well. Instead of you spending hours of your time figuring out how to remove this data, Delete Me does it for you. Before you go into a panic, take control of your data by signing up for Delete Me. It's super easy to use and it actually works. And they offer a special discount to our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com TFC and use promo code TFC. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com TFC and enter promo code TFC at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com TFC, promo code TFC. Well, and one thing that we don't unpack that much in the video, because honestly, I don't want the video to get, you know, taken down for the severity of the of the content. But, you know, we do touch on the fact that, you know, I think the stat is that on YouTube, at least at the time of the study, uh, videos that appeared to have children under the age of 13 in them uh, did on average three times better than videos that did not. And I know part of that, it, it, I don't want to understand understate the fact that part of that is that children watch YouTube at an, a completely outsized rate, right? Like they, they're by far the biggest sort of consumers of the platform. And also like they, they consume the most sort of by quantity. That being said, we see on all kinds of platforms that are not geared toward children in the same way, that same kind of phenomenon of these videos of children being viewed much more, being saved much more, being um, exported much more. And I think there is an increasing awareness that content of children is being harvested and used um, for some really, really dark stuff. And yet it doesn't seem at least kind of, the other day I was on TikTok and I scrolled from one video to the other and one of the videos the, the first one was a, a girl of about four years old eating a hamburger in a really big bite, really big bite. And then the next video when you scrolled was two very beautiful young adult women on a beach or in Dubai or something in these like very gorgeous kind of revealing outfits. The video of the girl eating the hamburger had about twice the amount of saves for having a, a similar number of views. Um, and again, it, you can't, it, you couldn't even say that it's not because of, you know, the women theoretically being interesting. These are gorgeous young women. They look like models, you know, one would think. Um, so when you see that and you, and I, and I think everyone's for the most part aware of it, do you have a sense of why that is not, at least at present, serving as a more active deterrent to posting this kind of content? Honestly, Chelsea, no, like it used to be, in, it used to be like one um, predator having access to images or information of your child would be too much. That would be enough for parents to, you know, shut every, everything down or not go to that park again or whatever it may be. And now it seems to be like, meh, it does, like, it, nothing seems to really rattle some of these people despite seeing the saves, despite seeing the comments, despite um, the advancements of AI and what can be done. Um, I do find it interesting. And that's why I often say that parents need to remember that the worst people in society are also sharing these spaces with us, right? And so we as parents need to be very mindful with what we are sharing because literally I was on TikTok live the other day, just scrolling, seeing what's going on, just a bunch of guys in prison, just on TikTok live, right? Like, like, I don't, I don't know what the disconnect is there for parents. Um, I don't know how the compliments on your parenting or your cute child outweigh thinking about a sick individual looking at your child through that lens. Um, it's just not something that I can relate to. And I really struggle to understand it because I always came at this from a mainly privacy and consent aspect. I always knew predators existed. 
Um, I was always aware of that, but I didn't know the depths until I really started diving deep. And now that I know, I just, I just can't relate to why anyone would want bath pictures, potty pictures, bathing suit pictures of their children online. Well, and the other thing too, that is so mind boggling is that while we've gotten such a laissez-faire laissez attitude about having these very sensitive images of children so widely available on the internet, at the same time, we have really clear data that shows that uh, children have much less freedom and mobility when it comes to the actual physical world. Like children on average, even just uh, like in terms of where they're able to play around their, their home or residence has greatly decreased since the 1970s. Children used to roam very widely. Now they're very, very limited and are much more heavily monitored, are much, much more um, sort of kept in a very narrow framework in terms of what is considered safe um, as it pertains to the outside world. And interestingly, that all happens in the context of a huge decrease in crime over the same period of time. Um, and obviously part of it is like, you know, if, you know, air tags or whatever were available in the 1970s, would parents have stuck them on their kids? Maybe, probably, I guess. Um, but there is a very undeniable trend in the face of, you know, evidence that would suggest the contrary as far as safety that we're focusing on a, a, an increasingly stringent definition of what makes children safe. And then at the same time, to your point, few things seem to make them more vulnerable than the way that we're treating childhood online. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it used to be like the online world and the physical world and they were like separate, right? Now it's all one, right? Like we hear and have heard of stories where the online world pops up at your doorstep. And sometimes that has tragic results, right? And so we need to be mindful of what we are sharing online in regard to not only images and videos, but also just information. You know, I see parents online storing their day um, via Instagram stories. And I'm like, we now know exactly where you are. We now know your like daily routine on Friday that you go to this community center and you do this class. I don't think parents are really understanding the vastness of the online world and the potential consequences it can have in, um, you know, real time, right? Well, I think the biggest thing that, you know, outside of just the, the general allure of the attention economy, right? Because like you and I both create content for the internet, right? We're not strangers to the validation and affirmation systems that are created through these platforms and how addictive those things can be in and of themselves. But on top of it, you know, as we do touch on in the video, is just how lucrative child content is comparatively, how um, how lucrative it is from many, many standpoints, not only in terms of how much better it makes the content perform, but, you know, we often forget, I think, that mothers in particular are by far the largest sort of consumer demographic. They make the vast majority of consumer decisions in this country, even if they don't control the majority of the wealth, they're still like all of the, you know, what is being bought, what is being brought into the home, generally that passes through mothers. So they are seen as such a powerfully lucrative demographic. And there is this narrative, I think, that has kind of come up in light of that, of this is empowerment for, you know, mothers to share and monetize their life this way, that this is empowering to them economically, that this is empowering to them as sort of getting their due as the consumer powerhouse that that they are and all of this. And, and it and it adds a level of, you know, financial viability to, you know, a situation that otherwise might not have it, which is very similar arguments to what are used for MLMs, which heavily recruit in the same demos. Um, but I'm wondering to what extent that the the sort of financial empowerment angle has come up in the work that you do. Um, I think sometimes I hear from family bloggers um, that, well, you know, they'll thank me later about going to private school mm. or they'll thank me later when they have college paid for or they can be mad at me as they drive their Beamer around town and things like this. And it's all very materialistic, superficial things, right? Like they are taking away their child's human right to 
privacy, right? Once that's gone, they can't take it back. There's not a right to be forgotten in America right now where these kids get to hit a button and their digital footprint is erased when they're 18 or anything like that, right? Um, and there's no financial protections for these children. So the moms are using them as performers and props for their content, but they're not written into these contracts. There's no law like the Coogan law for child actors that says, you know, this amount has to be put away for them and things like that. So it, it's exploitative, right? Um, and in my opinion, you can justify it all you want, but you are still exploiting your child and their human existence. And I don't think it's a child's responsibility to provide for their parents. And I want to make it clear that I want mothers to get their bag, go make that money. Um, I just don't want to see them do it on the backs of their child who are losing just fundamental human rights, in my opinion. Well, I mean, and there's also a huge question of, like you said, you know, choosing an affluent lifestyle for your child, I mean, is the exact same and, and suggesting that they would be thankful later. I mean, it's exactly, you know, the, the sort of rationale that was used for like, you know, Judy Garland, who, you know, we now know was like being, you know, all but tortured on the MGM lot, you know, um, <laughs> but that, that sort of, you know, assumption on the part of a caregiver that, you'll want a more affluent lifestyle at any cost that that you would be willing to make these exchanges if you understood the stakes you know i think what is so what makes me the most freaked out about all of this is that to your point about the coogan law like you know it's a it, you know a cliche but labor laws are written in in blood labor laws and workers rights and all of these things are they come about because of extraordinary exploitation and people revolting against that and and children working children being economic subsidiaries of their parents used to be for most of human history the norm and it was like as soon as that kid was old enough to like you could stick them up a chimney with a broom and have them start sweeping or send them down into a coal mine like that was what people did. And I think the fact that we worked so hard to create these child labor laws that very distinctly economically separated them from their parents and gave them these protections and in the case of entertainment created specific carve outs like I really don't think we understand just how much of the sort of underpinnings of the entire theory of child labor is being totally wiped away with this blurring. I think that's perfectly said. I really don't have anything to add to it other than we're just so far behind protecting these children, right? We are so far behind protecting them as it relates to the financial gains they are earning for their families, their labor, and their privacy. Because how many times do content creators or influencers say online, this is work, this is hard work. You, you wouldn't believe how much I work, right? So like we all know these kids are working, right? And some would argue, well, we're just filming their everyday life. Well, I don't know about that because their everyday life is now to put on a performance for their parents, right? So it's all work in my opinion. Well, you know, one of the questions in terms of actions that can be taken is as with many other sort of internet phenomenon phenomena or what have you like often it's more effective to go after the money right it's more effective to go after the brands the sponsors the you know people who are propping this up um you know i was recently speaking with because obviously we we make the, the the majority of our money as a company through uh brand partnerships usually financial services um but i was i had lunch with a client recently who was who said we have kind of just stopped working with family channels and family creators because we see it as i know slay i won't i don't have permission to share that in, information because obviously that was confidential but shout out to that client and i think that's amazing and more brands should do it um, but they were saying that they're starting to see a bit of a, a sea change in terms of how it's perceived um and you know i'm wondering in your opinion is it more effective to go after if you see a brand sponsoring this stuff Oh, 100%. And I've gone after brands publicly. <laughs> I've gone after brands um, 
in DMs and emails, oftentimes I will email asking, you know, why did you choose this family blogger to sponsor? Um, why are you working with this influencer? Rarely do I get responses. Sometimes I will get responses that they're not renewing their contracts and things like that. But I think a lot of the times, um, brand, the shift is just happening, right? I think there is a shift happening. And it's a reason why I always say like, despite me not agreeing with what these parents are doing online, I don't believe attacking them, bullying them, harassing them online is the answer. No one is going to listen to you if they feel attacked. They're going to get defensive. They're going to shut down. They're going to block you. It's ineffective to attack these people and just say, you're exploiting your kid. You're exploiting your kid. You need to go to the companies and the brands, right? If everyone who sent a mean message to a family vlogger would take a moment to look at their last sponsored post, write an email, send a DM. Hey, why are you working with these people who exploit their children? This is why um, I can't support you anymore. Things like this. I think then the societal shift continues and these brands would recognize that there's lots of parents to partner with, lots of mothers to partner with who you can sell to who aren't utilizing their kids as content online. So yes, I think, I think there needs to be a shift of going after the brands and the companies and the sponsors versus, um, you know, atta attacking these parents online. Um, that's not going to create a societal shift that we need. Well, I mean, I, I totally agree, first of all, but I also think part of it has to happen at a more localized level in terms of what what's tough about it is you know it feels especially for me as someone who doesn't have children it feels not disingenuous necessarily but presumptuous to make declarative statements about what is and isn't okay to share you know i mean it, it, my sister has children you know she'll post pictures of her children from time to time um I, I, I'm certainly in no place to say that that's unilaterally a breach or unethical or immoral or what have you. However, we can see that in aggregate, so many of these little low-level choices made by so many individuals create a context where exploitation is so much easier to not just happen, but to be accepted and normalized like we talked about in the beginning of our conversation. So as a mother, as someone who does you know, I imagine to some extent navigate, you know, your children's existence online or lack thereof. Like, do you feel like you have a, a good set of guidelines or an internal litmus test for, you know, sharing in a more responsible way? Uh, yeah, definitely. And I, I have always said that I don't feel sharing is black and white. And I don't think you know, some moral absolutism with regard to like never sharing is the answer to these problem in 2023. I think there's a big difference between family vloggers and influencers who utilize their children as content and would not be successful without regularly featuring their children versus quote unquote regular parents who occasionally share or even influencers who occasionally share an image or a video of their children. Um, when it comes to me personally, my personal choice is to not share privately or publicly because that's just what works for me. I don't, I didn't come with that natural urge to share my children to everyone um, or even like family and friends. Like I don't regularly share photos with grandparents and aunts and uncles. And that's not a hit on anyone who does. That's just not something that is in me or in my relatives, right? Um, so if people are looking to share, I think the biggest thing is to check your privacy settings and share privately amongst friends and family that you know and that you trust. I think the issues really stem when you are sharing on a very public stage and not being mindful of the images and the information you are sharing. Well, and I think also as an added layer, being mindful of, you know, the type of content itself. And I think exactly, I think to go back to the extreme displays of emotion, whether that's grief or fear or anxiety or any of these things, I think it's very important to distinguish what is 
um, you know, because I, I obviously, again, in the exact opposite space where we're never sharing any realities of human life and we're only portraying perfection, I think that's obviously not optimal um, and can have its own consequences. But I think if in the interest of being real, that allows us to um, justify sharing extremely personal and emotional moments of others who don't necessarily consent to or understand it, I think that's a really big correction to make that we, there has to be a a, a happy medium between the falsely perfect highlight reel and the quote unquote raw, real, relatable content that is ultimately, you know, a bit exploitative of people's human emotion. Yeah. um, You know, there are some general things that I always say, like don't share and like temper tantrums and meltdowns would be one like please don't share those raw emotions of your children on a public platform you know don't share bath time and potty training and semi-nude images I would also say private medical information with um, what's coming down the pipeline in regard to like AI and things like that and how digital footprints might be used uh as weapons in the future or cause people to potentially like not get like health coverage and things like this. I think people, parents, there are some things that just shouldn't be shared on a public forum. No, I agree with that. And I, I mean, I guess as a last question in terms of, you know, the uh, hard to, hard to in, in your line of work, maybe think in terms of the positives, but you know, being a mother yourself and seeing the way that our conversations around motherhood, parenthood, um, children, rearing of children, all of those things, seeing the way that they have evolved in the past 20 years. um, Do you feel that there have been benefits with this increased visibility of motherhood? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I feel like motherhood is finally being seen for what it is, which is, you know, the most intense, quote unquote, job you will ever have. I think it's brought an element of respect to moms. Um, It's brought community of support. There has been a lot of benefits um, that, you know, started basically from the mummy blogging era and has moved forward since social media and things like that. So I don't want to knock on um, everything because it's, it's, it's not, there's some great things that have happened. And I've made some great relationships with other mothers online who are doing phenomenal things. They're just not using their kids as content. And that's the big thing. It's about using your kids as your portrayal of being a mother that I have an issue with. Just portray motherhood as it relates to you. That's what I and I hope most people um, who are moms will connect with. Well, Sarah, as I mentioned, I am a massive, massive fan of the work that you do. I think it's so important. Um, So where can people go to follow you? Um, I'm on all social media platforms as mum.uncharted, and I will be releasing a podcast at the end of January 2024. Oh my gosh, a podcast? Tell me more. Yeah, so um, it's just going to be a short, um, depending six or 10 episode, uh, deep dive into some of the topics that I discuss on um, my platform. So yeah, looking forward to that being wrapped up in and presented to the world. Well, that is going to be my house cleaning slash commuting playlist uh, in early 2024. I am all suited up with my content now. Um, Okay, well, thank you so much for being here, Sarah, and thank you all at home for tuning in, and I will see you next Monday for an all-new episode of The Financial Confessions. Bye, guys. (laughs) 